0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home.
1: Good morning, welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us for Appleton, over in Stevens Point and Green Bay. from our Appleton campus, <laughs> alive and kicking. Um, this morning uh, in the first service, there was a little bit of a technical glitch back to our campus uh, in Green Bay the last hour. They couldn't see me, but they could still hear me. So the important thing is that you can still hear what is being said. The depressing thing is you can't see my beautiful face. So hopefully we won't have that problem if we do. Suck it up, buttercup. You'll be just fine. And we'll figure out what the problem is. That's technical stuff. The only way to avoid it is you'd have to get double everything, which would be a fortune. And we ain't doing that. So it means from time to time, something ain't going to work. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. Good news is God always works. Amen. So we're glad to be here from our Appleton campus. Somebody online. So I guess Mark is still on vacation. No, I'm actually in Appleton. It's live. It's happening. So anyway, besides, I never go on vacation, always working. Uh, we're here uh, this morning, we're going over to our Stevens Point campus for this evening's service for the ladies over there. My wife Deanna going to be sharing her story. So uh, seeing you guys over at Stevens Point tonight at six o'clock, some of you ladies here might want to drive over there, it's an easy drive from Appleton. If you want to come from Green Bay, bring it, hour and a half drive, but you'll be fine. Uh, Anyway, so we're excited about that. Um, We have uh, our Laugh Your Way couples event. It's coming next weekend in Green Bay. If you've never been to one, you ought to come. This is what I do all over the world, virtually every weekend of the year, traveling somewhere doing it. We're bringing it home to the Green Bay campus. Again, if you haven't seen it, I hope that you come this Friday night and Saturday morning. Part one, Friday night. Part two, Saturday morning morning. We have a change in, uh, we've kind of updated our uh, online giving technology. Big improvement. We're excited about it. Ben is coming at this time to tell us
0: all about it. Roll it to Ben. Good morning, Celebration Church. Pastor Ben here. What an amazing Easter week we just had. We saw people get baptized, had a time of reflection at our Good Friday services, showed the love of Jesus to our communities with our egg hunts, and we kept it all off with our Easter Sunday services with thousands of people in our cities and across the globe through Church Online and Facebook hearing the life-changing message of Jesus. Lives were changed in an eternal way, and all of it was possible because of your generosity. We are really excited to announce how we give just got better we switched giving platforms and have made giving to the church so easy it'll take you less than 30 seconds we've partnered with push Pay to make your giving experience the best possible the two digital ways to give haven't changed but they've both gotten updated and easier one way to give is through texting. Grab your phone and text CelebrationGB to 77977. You'll receive a text back with instructions to start giving. Be sure to type CelebrationGB as one word and that your phone doesn't autocorrect. Tap the link and you're ready to give. The other option is simply to go to our website and to go to the giving page. This will take you to the secure giving link and allow you to make your gift or set up recurring giving. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask the church staff after service or contact our accounting department. We are excited about this quick, easy, and secure way to give, and we think you'll love it too.
1: Thank you, Ben. We'll be talking more about that in the uh, weeks to come before we go into summer. Uh, Check it out. If you've never done it online through your phone and stuff, you ought to try it. It's really kind of fun and extraordinarily easy to do. All right. And also a big shout out this morning to my mother-in-law, Dawn, lovely Dawn. It's her birthday today. God bless all the mother-in-laws. One person said, woo.
0: (laughs) 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 Ah!
1: She's a doll. She's great. This morning, I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, something we've been talking about. Uh, We just finished a series on forgiveness. And I said, uh, uh, you know, we brought that series to an end, so we won't be doing it every week. But I said, throughout the year, I will keep coming back to it. And I'm going to come back to it today. A little bit different twist today. But coming back to it because it's very important. The one thing that keeps churches everywhere in America from growing is the problem with forgiveness. The churches who figure it out are the ones who grow very large. I would love to see Celebration Church grow from 2,500 to 5,000 people. Somebody say amen. All right, the only way to do that is we have to have a culture of forgiveness because somebody is going to tick you off. If I have never ticked you off, you haven't been coming very long. All right, at some point, I'm going to say something, somebody's going to say something, somebody's going to change something, somebody's going to do something, Ah, and then you fall apart and go running off. We need to get a culture. Churches are filled with forgiven people, but we're also supposed to be filled with forgiving people. And sadly, that last part is very... Very rare, as I've said before, 400,000 churches in America today. 80% of them have less than 100 people. And closer to more like 75 to 50. That's about as many as you can get in a room that will all agree with each other. And by that point, half of them are your relatives anyway. You know. So I mean, it is. it is. We got to break that habit. Just suck it up, buttercup. You will not die. We need to love people and forgive people when things go sadly the way we don't want it to go. Anyway, along these lines this morning, I... Uh, Diane Bray, uh, Bray, who's uh, been working for me for a very long time over in our Stevens Point campus, sent me a blog this last week, and I was reading it. this is perfect because this is the kind of thing I wanted to talk about this morning. It's written by a guy by the name of Chad Bird. I'm going to read part of it uh, to you this morning as we launch into the message. He writes this. You want to do something that people will really love? Commit an act of infamy. It doesn't have to be mind-boggling evil. Something run-of-the-mill will do. It just needs to be simple, scandalous, and public knowledge. Think Monica Lewinsky. Why is it this way? Infamy allows us the opportunity to hone one of our favorite skills, and that is to shrink a 343-page life story down to a single paragraph or phrase that narrates what happened on one day, at a certain hour, and in a certain location. Then, with the authority invested in us by the state of self righteousness, we proclaim this and nothing else is who you are. Just ask Thomas. Uh, sorry, I mean doubting Thomas. He's the only guy from Genesis to Revelation who has an unfavorable adjective sticking out like a zit in front of his name. For us, The defining moment for Thomas is in the upper room when he protests that he won't believe Jesus is alive again until he can put his fingers into his wounds. But it is not the only story which Thomas has a part to play. In the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. He informs his disciples that they're headed back to Judea to see him. The disciples protest. Very bad idea, Jesus. Look, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and now you want to return? This is crazy talk. Jesus replies, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. It appears, however, as if one person already did believe, without a shred of doubt. Without displaying an ounce of fear, in firm and full confidence of faith, one disciple speaks out, and it's our old friend, Thomas. He says to his brothers, Let's also go that we may die with him. Do you even know that it was Thomas who said that? Now there's a man with backbone. There's a man with conviction, courage, confidence. Come on, boys, don't stand around with your hands in your pockets, hemming and hawing about what we should do. Look, if Jesus is going, I'm going. If he gets hurt, I get hurt. Let's go, brothers, that we may die with our Lord. And yet no one has ever dubbed him courageous Thomas, or bold of Thomas, or believing Thomas. No, he is doubting Thomas. Why is that? because we prefer to remember people by the scandalous things they've done. We say that episode of Doubting Thomas is who you are, that and nothing else. The question this morning is who are you? What adjective might people stick as a preference onto your name? Lying Laurie? Cheating Charlie? Greedy George? How about Pothead Paul? Boozing Bob or Porno Paula, Or are you the type that tacks a preference in front of your own name? Do you self-identify by the skeletons hidden in your closet? Do you sew onto your own clothing the scarlet letter of secret shame? Paul for words. Which brings us to the core of my message today. I want to talk about what it means to forgive yourself. As I've been doing this series, many people have come up to me and said, but pastor, how do I forgive myself? And so that's why we're talking about this today. How do we forgive ourselves? Well, it starts by seeing ourselves as God sees us and understanding what happened on the cross. Now, we just went through Holy Week, Palm Sunday, celebrating Jesus' arrival into the city of Jerusalem. By the end of the week, we're all yelling, crucify him. Talk about Change in the public opinion. Holy cow, you think your poll numbers go up and down. That's, that's bad. Because he had disappointed them. He wasn't the conquering Messiah. They had anticipated and they beat him, have him crucified. Of course, we know this happens because he takes the punishment for all of us. He takes the sins of the world upon himself. This is where we experience this glorious thing that we celebrate every Sunday called forgiveness. We'll be celebrating in a little bit as we take communion together, what happened on that day. The Bible uses all kinds of beautiful pictures to describe what happens when we experience this wonderful forgiveness. Isaiah wrote these words. He said, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your skins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In Psalm 103, we read these words, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as we all know, there's a North Pole, there's a South Pole, there is, however, no east or west pole. It never ends. How far he takes your sins and removes them from you. In Micah, we see this beautiful analogy. Micah writes, You will again have compassion on us, talking about God, You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Beautiful analogy, Uh, particularly for them at that time, a lot of seafarers at that time. And one thing you know, if something goes overseas, overboard, when you're out to sea, you just said goodbye to it. Of course, it doesn't have to really be the ocean. They can be in Green Bay. Many a cell phone lies at the bottom of (laughs) Green Bay. That's experience I've had on my boat. As someone's not paying attention, all of a sudden, clink, clink, splash. What was that? That was you saying goodbye to your foe. And, uh, and goodbye for good. Now, the bay's shallow enough that if you're really desperate, you could be crazy enough to go and find the goofy thing. But in the ocean, forget about it. It's gone. Something goes over, you will never, ever get it back. Beautiful picture of what God does with our sins. He takes them and he flips them overboard. Down. It goes, you'll never, ever get them back. Isn't that beautiful? Ah, but more than forgiveness took place on the cross. This is, this is where we miss it. Our churches for the last 2,000 years really have done a, a great job of understanding about Christ taking our sins. But we think of that event on that Good Friday as a one-way transaction, that he just takes our sins and that is it. That we are now still left a bunch of scumballs who don't really deserve much of anything. uh, And why so many people continue to struggle with forgiving themselves, remembering the horrible things that they had done, understanding God had forgiven them, but still, still God must look at me and feel Such a degree of disappointment. But that is not the way it is. No, an incredible transaction happens on that day. We read about it in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, God made him, talking about Jesus, him who had no sin, made him to be sin for us that we get. But the part that we forget is this, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we understand that Jesus took our sins, but we often fail to realize that it was more than that. It was more than him taking. It was a swapping that was going on. He took our sins, and then he gave us his righteousness. In other words, he took what was wrong with us and gave us what was right about him. This is where we make the mistake. This is where we fall short. God does not look at you and feel irritated. That he has to tolerate you. You know, he doesn't look at you and think, oh, here they go again. That's not the way he looks at you. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. The very compassionate love. Now, I know it's hard for people to grasp that because we can't imagine how that could happen. But I'm telling you that is God's heart. You have to understand that when God looked at Jesus, he lit up. He lit. How this even happens, how God could be in heaven, but part of his godliness comes down in human form. I mean, what happens is beyond comprehension. I can't figure it out. But when he looked at Jesus, he lit up, okay? Just like a a father would light up at at, at looking at his child. You know, you parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Moms and dads, you remember those days when they were little and and, and they were asleep? And, uh, and, And you look at them and you just... Oh man, I used to do that for the longest time. I'd watch the little Rugrats and and thank God, number one, that they were asleep. Number two, that they were there and looking at them. And what that does to a parent's heart is really indescribable. It is a life-changing moment, particularly for men. Uh, There's two seminal events in the life of a man that turns a man from a boy into a man. Number one, the day he gets married. Every guy, listen to me right now, Appleton, Stevens Point. uh, I'm in Appleton. Green Bay, Stevens Point, here in Appleton, knows what happened the day you got married. It, like, it jerks the slack out of you. It's like, okay, I have to actually be a responsible human being now. This, something changes. And it's what, you know, every culture in the world, except Western culture, gets this. To this day, they all understand that the one event that turns a boy into a man is marriage and responsibility. That's what transforms him. All of a sudden he starts to change. I know single girls, y'all whining and complaining that there's no mature boys out there. All the boys are so immature. Because what we have done in Western cultures is we think that time will mature them. But it does not. It is the single greatest stupid thing that we do in Western culture. Expecting if you wait for a boy to get old enough, suddenly you mature now. That's why we got 32-year-old boys still living at home with mom. Amen. Playing video games every day. That's all they can do. They're still not grown up. These single girls know what I'm talking about. Oh, I hate I hear it all the time. I hate dating. They're so immature. I wish I could find a mature man. No, that's not the way it works. You find an immature one, you marry him, and turn him into a man. And all the women said, amen. Praise God. All right, so that's what you got to do. The second greatest event, by the way, for the record, some of you single girls, you actually, if you'll be honest, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you don't want to admit something. (laughs) A lot of you are much more attracted to married men than you are to the single men in your own churches. Do you know why that is? You say, well, they're so much more mature. Yeah, they're mature because she made him that way. Okay? You're trying to hop on somebody else's train. Are you hearing me? Get your own stinking train. Somebody say amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. We should just end right there. It's beautiful. No, wait. Wait a minute. So so that's the first thing is marriage. The second one is when you become a father. It is really transformative for any man in this room knows what I'm talking about. Mom's stupid something for a guy. I mean, it takes you to the next level of responsibility men start performing better, they're more focused, they become mature. When you look at that child, something lights up inside of you. And that's what God did when he looked at Jesus. That's why we read of these events where, you know, a voice from heaven would come over and say, this, like a proud father, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now you got to wonder what it would sound like, you know. The Bible doesn't give us much details. You know, people say, the Bible's a bunch of stories. If it's stories, it's the worst storytelling ever done. Because in the stories, you give details, right? They don't give a lot of details. It's just kind of just, this is the way it happened. I would love to, what did that voice sound like? Clearly, it had to be like James Earl Jones. <laughs> oh, I am your father, you know, what it is called, cool? instead of a voice like mine. La, 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 So you got you to assume it was cool. But as a God lights up, he looks at and what it does to him. Can you imagine? what you don't understand is when this transaction takes place. Again, we've always thought of it as a one-way deal. He takes our sins. We're done. No. He takes what's wrong and gives us what's right about him. And when God looks at you, he lights up like he did when he looked at Jesus. You say, that's hard for me to believe because you don't understand. See, the way to start to understand and be able to forgive yourselves is to start to see yourself the way God sees you. Someone after the first service said, well, how do I do that? Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. They talk about this over and over and over again, about this incredible swap that happens. When you start to understand, when this becomes more real to you than what you feel, it will change you. You'll be able to forgive yourself. You'll be able to walk in newness of life. Why? Because You understand this transaction that occurred. Paul writes about it to the Colossians. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, And you will also appear with him in glory. We are tied to him. We are tied never to be separated. We are forever tied directly to Christ. It's hard for us to understand. You know, a lot of people say, man, I I wish I could be an angel. Wouldn't it be great if I could be an angel? Do you know most angels think, I wish I could be those guys? I I know you don't believe it. I'm telling you, you need to believe it. They look at you and envy. Because we have taken a position that even they don't have. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. Our standard, our standing in heaven has changed dramatically. You say, well, I don't feel it. That's the problem because we don't think about it. We haven't learned about the transaction that happens. He takes what is wrong about us but gives us what is right about him. He writes to the Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans, he writes boldly, therefore, and whenever you read a therefore, you ought to see what it's there for. And what he's there for is he just talked about this transition, this transaction. He says, therefore, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we might experience conviction. And that's healthy. I do not buy into this thinking that's very prevalent uh, in many Western churches that, you know, no one should ever feel bad. There should be never any sense of guilt and shame. Now I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to talk about condemnation. But listen to me. You do something bad, you ought to feel bad. That's what the Holy Spirit is there to remind us, okay? <laughs> the only people who never feel bad are psychopaths. If you actually look up the definition of a psychopath, if you're wondering something, I wonder what it means to be a psychopath as a potential life choice. And the, the thing with a psychopath, you, in the definitions, they never feel bad about anything. They kill animals, they kill people, they can torture people. So how can people, you know, because we read these stories, you see these horrible things. How can anybody do something like that? Because we would we would be mortified by that. They feel nothing. I do not believe Jesus called us to go out and make the world full of a bunch of psychopaths who never feel bad about things. If you do something bad, you ought to feel bad. If you don't, something's wrong with you. But what you shouldn't feel is condemned. The difference, conviction, shows us we're wrong, brings us back to the cross. Condemnation says you're doomed, you're stuck, you can never get out. That we do not do. That is not our light. And if you look at yourself in that light, I am doomed. I cannot forgive myself. I did bad things. Well, whatever it is that you did, you have to understand there is a transaction that has happened. And now he's taken that and given you his goodness. John writes the words of Jesus in his gospel, the 16th chapter. He says, when he comes talking about the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict us, and that's a good, healthy thing. But you shouldn't feel condemned. Conviction will always bring us back and show us a way out. If you're feeling there is no way out for me, you're no longer living in the world of the Spirit's conviction, but in the devil's condemnation. When God looks at you, I know it's hard to grasp. He looks at what is right about you because he looks at you and lights up like he did when he looked at Jesus. Now he would say, "This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased." That's how he feels about you. I was thinking about this like I couldn't help but be reminded of a movie that you shouldn't watch. <laughs> it's a little inappropriate, but a little funny too. It's called Shallow Hal. If you've watched it, don't raise your hand. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's about this guy Hal, who's basically a pig of a man. And he only chases really hot chicks clueless that he himself is nowhere near the hot category didn't matter to him he was always after these hot chicks and then one day he runs into some self-help guru played by tony what's his name robbins Robbins, yeah, yeah so and then robbins hypnotizes him so that he will only see what is beautiful about a woman so now he's going around and he is drawn to an incredibly unattractive women but every time he sees them They are incredibly beautiful. And his friend's gone like, what's wrong with you? Why are you hanging with these chicks? And he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? Because he couldn't see it. Uh, Eventually, he he runs into a woman by the name of Rosemary, a very unattractive woman. When the camera would look at her, it was like, okay. But whenever he would look at her through that lens, now the camera saw Gwyneth Paltrow. That's who played the part. And she's, you know, Ho Chi Mama, right? Pretty girl. So whenever he saw her, it was Gwyneth Paltrow. Whenever everybody else saw it was the ugly girl. You have to understand, when God looks at you, he sees Gwyneth Paltrow, which is creepy if you're a man. But you know what I'm trying to say here, okay? He, 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 he sees beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> okay, back to what I was talking about. Um, uh, in this blog, Mr. Bird writes, he says, we need to rewrite our own biographies. All of us, he says, are more complicated than the singular narrative by which most people identify us to. Uh, We have all done very bad things, some very good things, and lots of in-between things. Sadly, most people will remember only the bad. And if there's something about a person who can't forgive himself, he, he or she never sees the good that they do. They only see the bad. You have to understand that when God looks at you. He only remembers the good. And the good he remembers is the good that Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. You want to be free. You want to enjoy the blessings of God. You got to forgive yourself. You got to be able to say, who am I? I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm a citizen of heaven. I've been born anew and bathed afresh in the waters of his amazing grace. I am a somebody. Not because I'm a somebody, but because he says I'm a somebody. When he looks at me, I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes. I'm somebody because God says I'm somebody. Period. And when you see that, it'll change you. It'll change you forever. And you'll be able to walk free of condemning yourself. How do we forgive ourselves? By seeing ourselves the way God sees us. I'm gonna invite our ushers to come uh, here in Appleton as well as over at our campuses in Green Bay and Stevens Point. Come forward and get ready to serve uh, communion this morning. This is a part of the service, as I mentioned earlier, where we always reflect on what happened on that day. And we, as Christians everywhere, are quick to pronounce accurately so. That is because of his body broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, that we experience this transformative event uh, with the forgiveness of sins. But what often is left out is that it's not a one-way transaction. It is a two-way transaction. He takes what is wrong about us, all of it, even the worst that you've done. You say, how can he forgive me? I can't forgive myself. I'm telling you, that's what he does. But more than that, he not only takes what is wrong with us, but then in return puts upon us what is right about him. We now become intertwined with Christ Jesus himself. Before we take communion together, I want us all to bow our heads and pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I freely receive you into my life. You turn my darkness into light. My sadness into joy. My emptiness into fullness. Thank you for taking what is wrong about me and giving me your goodness. Amen. And that's why we celebrate now as we take communion. The ushers are going to come now and hand out the elements. Uh, Take the bread and then the wine. Or if you prefer the grape juice, you can take the outside ring as a grape juice. But don't take it right away. Hold on to it. And they will take communion altogether after everyone has been served. And at this time, the other campuses can break away to their own services.